Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? I've got three resources to tell you about, so lend me your patience and your attention. This week's interview, which is phenomenal, will start shortly. First, registration for the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups is back on because I'm home, but it closes soon. In these highly effective groups, we will meet via online video chat to talk about everything from developing parental leadership and strengthening family connection and communication, to overcoming the walls of awful that affect our household, managing anxiety, and practicing family self-care. The groups will run for eight weeks. Beginning on Monday, March 16th, we meet for an hour on Mondays and Wednesdays. One section is at 12 p.m. Eastern, and the other is at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you're interested in joining, go to www.adhdessentials.com slash parentgroups or email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com or check out the show notes for a link to the registration page. There are still spaces left, but registration closes on Tuesday, March 10th, so get in now. And on March 2nd, about a week before registration closes for the parent groups, the second great resource that I have to share with you will begin. Because that's the day that the ADHD Toolbox starts. It's a powerful and valuable free resource for any adults, parents, or teachers who have ADHD or work with kids who do. There will be 30 experts featured on the toolbox, including Drs. Russell Barkley and Ned Hallowell, and former guests of this show, Caroline McGuire, Jeff Copper, and Seth Perler. You're certain to find as much value in the ADHD toolbox as you do in this show. And just to make sure, I'm a part of it too. My presentation is on five ways to improve behavior at school and at home. Check out the show notes for an exclusive link to this incredible event. And my third resource is the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. Make sure you're listening to our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb. Eric interviews adults with ADHD as well as ADHD experts, and Will shares practical, actionable tips to help you manage your ADHD more effectively. Finally, another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting editing this episode, and I greatly appreciate it. Learn more about his work at IdealVideoStrategies.com. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Megan Vanderslaes. Megan is a therapist with over a decade of experience who specializes in play therapy services for children, as well as providing support for their parents. In today's episode, we're talking, unsurprisingly, about play therapy and how to more effectively play with your kids. Megan discusses how video games factor into play therapy, the importance of getting back into our bodies, co-regulation and modeling through verbal awareness, and how to enter the child's world. 
this is one you're probably going to want to listen to more than once. All right, let's get rolling. I'm in Canada. I'm in BC. And where I live provincially, I'm a registered clinical counselor. And then I did additional training after grad school to become a play therapist. So, you know, I did grad school. I came out, you know, in my mid to late 20s. And I just naturally gravitated towards working with children and teens. I felt like I could relate to them more. So my background has always been working in not-for-profits and agencies with children with mental health concerns. But coming out of grad school, there wasn't a lot of what do you do with children? They do not sit on a couch and talk about, oh, well, I was feeling this way. This is what was bothering me. So that's why I did that. And so working at these agencies, we weren't really given any type of play therapy training. So when I, you know, as I progressed through my career, I just was starting to feel more and more frustrated of like, you know, we had so much demand for services and just not feeling very effective because doing cognitive behavior therapy with a lot of these kids, they just, you know, were spinning around a room and a lot of the kids that came my way with like ADHD or anything like that, we just wouldn't even take them. It's like, you know, it's not a mental health concern, but clearly these families and kids were very much struggling. So that's what led me into looking, what else could I be doing more of? How can I be getting some more training or finding some more things that are going to help these, these families and these kiddos, which led me into the play therapy world. I'm a little stunned that mental health agencies out your way were like, we don't need to bring in kids who have ADHD. That's not a mental health thing. I know, I know. It was um, like, and I was intake, I was an intake counselor. So I would get all of the referrals from the doctors and schools and parents. And so, you know, I would go into a meeting and come out and have like 20 voicemail messages and just, you know, constantly just request for services. And this was the government funded mental health services. So we were looking at very clinical, like, is this, you know, what's the severity? Is there suicidal ideation, you know, with hospitalization and like, you know, the severe mental health thing, uh, end of the spectrum to, you know, the lower end. And so a lot of the kiddos that, you know, had behavior issues or they were struggling with ADHD, it was like, well, clearly the treatment is give them a medication and, you know, family needs to do their own work. This isn't mental health. Well, there's still mental health with it. So a lot of the times, if there was some more severe stuff, they would sit on the wait list or we would put them into an anxiety group. But it wasn't, you know, like the kids that I work with, I see now, like there's self-esteem stuff, there's anxiety, there's the executive functioning, there's constantly being redirected, which leads them to feel like there's something wrong with me. And then, you know, you see them later on and they're 13, 14 going into high school and there's all of these negative feelings that have been building up. And you know, it's a struggle because not a lot of people know how to work with them or don't know what to do. So that's where I just felt like, this is not okay with me. Like, I'm not okay with just being like, I don't know, like, go to that group, see you later. So I just started to look at like, what, what, there's got to be something for these guys. Awesome. So what is play therapy? Like, I guess at its root, sort of big picture, what is it? Play therapy is an approach really to help kids process feelings in their own language, which is play. Like I said earlier, kids aren't going to sit on the couch and process their thoughts and feelings like an adult will. They, they sort things out through playing. They sort things out with, you know, the, the dinosaur beating up the other dinosaur or this fox is scared of that thing. So they're going to be playing things out, whether it's dressing up and doing, you know, make believe that way or if it's with like figures or if it's with sand or at the beach. That's how kids make sense of things. And I think that's, you know, has come out in a lot of your previous podcast interviews and 
and just in the research, you know, nowadays with the importance of play and making sure kids have time to play because that's how they make sense of things that have happened in their life is through playing it out and figuring it out. So play therapy is, you know, as a therapist, you're with them in that process. And so there's a couple different ways that that happens. Sometimes it can be non-directive, which is just the therapist is like, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to play with? And you sort of follow the child and their interests in the room. And then there can also be more directive approaches, which is like, okay, so I want you to draw a picture of how you feel angry and you're sort of leading them in what you want to be getting at. So, you know, there's different reasons why you would be doing one or the other. You know, typically I go child-centered first and sort of see what the kiddo brings into the room. And then if I feel like there's a lot of avoidance or they're just like, everything's great, you know, then I might be a bit more directive with them around some things. And then the more people you have, like if you have a family or if you have a group, the more directive you want to be because you can't just have everybody doing their own things. It's absolutely chaos. So so then within the, that play therapy world, there's, you know, child-centered and then there's other forms, just like in counseling, they're just like, you know, gestalt and psychodynamic so it sort of goes that way okay cool i have so many questions <laughs> i'm gonna start with the one that is probably pretty straightforward and then i'm gonna ask the one that may very well derail this entire conversation okay um <laughs> so my first question is what's the typical age range for play therapy there's play therapists that focus on like toddlers, like infant and toddler mental health and like preschoolers. So even kiddos that are, you know, two, three, four can access play. Like that's when you would really want to do play therapy. There's no way they are going to be sitting and talking and processing. It would, it would be through play. So if there's been some trauma or there's some anxiety or any other kind of issue that brings kiddos in for play therapy, family breakdown, things like that you can do play therapy with that age, but it's finding, you know, a play therapist that works with that age, right? That they have comfort with that level and, you know, they can speak to what they would do. How high up can we go? Well, I know like play therapists, there's one play therapist in my community and she does play therapy with adults. So, you know, like anybody can do play therapy. Cool. Like there's some adults who like to do art therapy, right? Like that's a form of play or sand tray or anything like that. So. So there's no real limit to the age that you can go up to. Now here's my question that may derail stuff. I was listening to you talk about how kids are working out, sounds like sort of their life questions and life challenges through play. And I'm immediately going, well, what are kids playing with the most nowadays? It's video games. And that's got to be hindering because a video game oftentimes brings its own story and its own story elements. And it sounds like part of the power of play therapy is the kid bringing the story and the story elements because that's the things they're trying to work out are going to wind up being part of the story of whatever they're playing. How do video games play into this? Oh, this is such a heated topic. And so the synergetic play therapy that I've been immersed in, Lisa, she has a podcast, uh, Lessons in the Playroom, and she did a whole interview or a whole podcast episode on video games and play therapy because it's so, like I said, it's so prevalent. And so what, what is going on with that? And I look at it, like I explore it from what's the kiddo getting from it? Like, what is the draw and what is the purpose of it? It's serving a purpose, right? It always serves a purpose. So 
she, in the one podcast I listened to, she talked about a friend of hers who, you know, we, we know us that work in the field, all like limit screen time and video games and stuff. So she was super concerned with her son's Minecraft use, you know, and trying to set limits around Minecraft because you can just do so much in that. It's such a world you can just escape into. And so she decided to work with them around it of like, okay, so what are you getting from this? Like, what is your purpose when you go into Minecraft? Is it, are you doing something? Is there a purpose or are you just whatever, you know, out there in space rambling around? So she worked with him around identifying what his goals were for his, his session playing Minecraft. And so it's like, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to work on this house or I'm going to do this or that. Okay, great. So it's like having that start and that end point. So you can, you can use the video games as that tool of getting some purpose work done. And then also the other piece is just going back into the body. And so we'll, we'll talk about this later is the interoception of, you know, every 15 minutes, like where, you know, connect back with your body, like sit on a yoga ball or do a lap around the room or do something to bring you back into your body. And so, you know, so there's that piece to go back to what you said with like, what are they bringing into the play? I would look at it as like, okay, so are the video games an escape? Like, I don't like what's happening in my life and my world. So I'm escaping into like Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever the game is. Or is this way of me like not engaging with my family? Or is this my only social avenue? So it's sort of, you know, as a parent sitting back and going like, what's the purpose of this? Right? Like what is serving a purpose and what is that? And what are they getting from it? That point about getting back into your body is not one I would have thought of. Can we play with that a little bit before we move into other things? Sure. The synergetic play therapy, we focus a lot on what is happening in the body. And so this is, I think, an important thing to be aware of with the ADHD kiddos and what I really find helpful in the work that I do is what is going on in my body when we're playing and what's going on in their body. So we often tell the kids, you know, like when you're feeling frustrated, take a deep breath and things like that. And it's, you know, like, yeah, 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 whatever. I've heard it. But in the sessions and at home as parent, you can just model it. You know, you can just go like, wow, this feels really intense. I need to take a deep breath. I'm feeling frustrated. I can't get the spaghetti jar open. I have to take a deep breath and shake my hands out. So you're not saying to them and using everything as a teachable moment. Like you're just doing it. You're just modeling it, modeling it, modeling it. And so that's what happens in the play therapy sessions is, you know, if the kiddo is smashing the dollhouse and I'm feeling worried that all my furniture is going to get broken. This is feeling really intense. I'm like, oh, this feels intense. I got to take a deep breath. I'm worried my furniture is going to get broken. I got to shake my hands out so I can handle this or I can like rub my arms or rub my legs or I can rock. So it's working on the mirror neuron system. So that is the system where, you know, when you're self-regulating, when you have your little baby and rocking them, and they're getting regulated from that. It's the same thing. We never lose that mirror neuron system. It's always there. So if things are escalating and getting intense, just speak to it. You can just be like, this feels intense. I got to take care of me. I got to take a deep breath. And part of that during the play therapy sessions is, wow, like my head's feeling really fuzzy. I, I can't, I'm having a hard time like following this. Maybe their head's feeling fuzzy. So just naming it has the person check into it themselves. So you can just be doing that at home anytime, like in traffic, bored, like, oh, like, wow, I totally gapped out there. I got to take a deep breath. And the other person's like, oh, did I gap out? So just doing that verbal awareness helps kids develop that own check into their own system. And then the other piece you mentioned with the video games, 
is like, and I've talked about this with um, some families with Fortnite, where the kids go into Fortnite and they're playing, 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 and then they got to like, hey, screen time's over, you got to come out of it. Well, you know, they're, they're not aware of what's in their body when that's going on. Like they're just like zoned in and in this really intense game and it's like, you know, fight or flight type of systems happening and then you'd like pull them out of it. Well, why is he freaking out? <laughs> like he is <laughs> activated <laughs> in fight or flight. So I talked to the kiddos around like, if you want to keep your video game, maybe when your game ends, maybe do some jumping jacks or do something to bring yourself back to your body to discharge all of that energy going in your system because it's just in there like spinning, 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 and you're just like amped up, but it's not going anywhere until you come out of it. And now that energy is being directed at your parents and you wonder why they escalate so fast. So just being mindful of that both for like the kiddo and the parent to be like, okay, like, you know, take a body break, do some jumping jacks, dispel that energy so we can like move on to dinner or whatever it is we got to do without having big, big blow ups. And doing that in between each game. Yeah. It sounds like specifically with regard to Fortnite, where you play for a little while, you die or you win, depending on what happens. Then instead of loading right back into the next game, take a minute, do some jumping jacks, push-ups, sit down on the ground and have a minute of quiet, whatever it is that works for you, and then continue moving forward into the game for another session. That's an awesome strategy. That's great. Yeah, and it's and I think if parents can get on board with like the brain science behind it of understanding like this isn't your kid just being a jerk, like they, they're getting this kind of energy from the game, that's what the game's designed to do, that's what they're probably drawn to, they like it, but that energy's stuck in the body. So if, if both people, if kid and parent are both aware of that, you know, it makes it less of a battle and like, oh, video games are ruining your life, and other that they're, you know, it's like, okay, let's just, you know, how do we meet both needs? How do we like transition in and out? And you also get to have your game and we are aware of how this game is affecting you. Another thought that drifted through my head while you were talking was that idea of, of sort of naming and claiming the emotion and the challenge that you're experiencing during the play therapy is really cool because I did that on Sunday in a play situation. So my listeners know that I play Dungeons and Dragons. I was playing D&D on Sunday. I was running a game. And one of the things that I've noticed recently about my D&D games, it's probably been going on for about a year and a half maybe, but I didn't really have a handle on it until recently, is my level of immersion into the story that we're telling as a group. And I run the game. I'm the, the dungeon master, so I'm telling the story. And they're kind of adding to it and improving with me, but I build the frames of it. Mm-hmm. My immersion into the story is nothing like it used to be. It used to be like, as close to real as you can get when I was like in college, right? And nowadays, if there's times when I'm just not there, it feels more like a game and less like a story for me. Then my sort of my empathy starts kicking in. Not that I'm like an over empathic person. Totally I'm an over empathic person. And I if I if my head's out of it, I start worrying about my players, right? I'm like, am I not doing this right? Are they not enjoying themselves? Like what's going on? Right. And so I just brought it up. I brought this phenomenon up with my players on Sunday and they were like, no, we don't have that experience at all. Cause we thought the last game was great. And they were surprised that I was sort of out of it. Um, and another friend of mine was like, yeah, the, the immersion for me is nothing like it used to be in college. When I, when we were playing in college and shortly after college, it was deep. And now it's just a different experience. It's still fun. I still enjoy it, but it's not the same. And what was interesting about that, connected to what you're saying, is after I named that, my immersion in the rest of the story, the rest of the game, was much deeper than it's been 
for like, I don't know, six months or so. Yeah. And so that, that's so cool. That is, it's just that, like that mindfulness moment, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're just like in it and you're in the present moment and you're aware of like, wow, like my head's like not quite there. I'm not quite as into it as I used to be, huh? I'm noticing that. And then once I think you speak to it and you notice it, it just like dispels it, you know, and then you're able to go into it or or you just sort of move through it. I feel like it's the same thing in, in the play therapy and the synergetically therapy I do is very much, you know, being mindful in the moment. So the kiddos, it's, it's about what's happening for me and what's happening for them. Like, how am I feeling in this room right now? Like, you know, and they might not be feeling that this just might be my own stuff. Um, but I might be like, oh, wow, like, oh, I just got like super like sleepy there for a moment. Like I got to like wake myself up um, or this just felt really intense. And so it's just being in that moment together and they might just be like, oh, I never noticed that. But you know, the more you do that, it just, everybody develops that awareness, you know, through modeling it, speaking to it, same thing if you do it with your kids at home or in the D&D group. I've sort of jumped you forward a little bit because we've talked about synergistic play therapy, but we haven't actually said what it is. So could, could you define it? <laughs> yes. So, so synergetic play therapy is just another, it's another type of play therapy and it was created by Lisa Dion and she's in um, Colorado. And it's sort of grown from, you know, the States and there's a, there's a large group in my province in BC. They, they saw her present and just sort of fell in love with it and have brought it here for training. So I've been fortunate to go locally to Vancouver to be able to participate, but she goes to like Australia is big into it. She's going to Singapore and the Philippines is going like all over the world. But what synergetic play therapy is about is really focusing on what's, what's happening for the therapist in the moment and speaking on like that neuroscience level of what's happening in the body. So bringing all of the awareness back into the moment and and what I'm feeling in my body when I'm in play with the child. So go back to the dollhouse, for example, if the kiddo is smashing all the stuff in the dollhouse, like this is feeling really intense. I'm feeling like worried here. Uh, This is intense. I can feel my heart racing. So I'm going to speak to what that feels like in the body. My heart's racing. Like, how do I self-regulate in that? I have to take a deep breath. And so a big part of the synergetic play therapy is, is to helping develop the interoceptive awareness. And um, interoception is just another one of our senses, right? We have the five and then we have proprioceptive interoception, which is knowing like, how do I know I have to go to the bathroom? How do I know I'm hungry or thirsty? Like all of that internal stuff. And then vestibular, right? So those are the other extra senses that, you know, we're starting to learn more and more about, especially with like the neurodiverse kids. And proprioception is your awareness of your body in space, right? Body in space, yeah. And then vestibular is balance, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And so all of those, you know, we can speak to. So proprioceptive will be like, wow, like I'm here and like you're way over there across the room or we were over here doing this and now we're, now we're over there. Or And sometimes too with, with kiddos that I work with with ADHD, if we have the, like the foam sword fights, it's like a lot of times they're not aware of how hard they're hitting with the sword fights or it gets intense really fast. And so we just slow it down and I'll be like, okay, like that, that was really fast. Did you feel how fast that was? Like, and so we'll, we can like slow that down and, and work on that proprioceptive awareness because sometimes they're not aware of like how hard they push or when they get in the moment, it's just, it's, it's not there for them. And so being aware of like those sort of sensory needs too, do they need more proprioceptive like touch? Do they need tactile? Do they need, you know, pressure or things like that? So this sounds, and I want to be careful with how I say this, but 
this sounds like something that to some degree parents could be doing with their kids. Absolutely. And I don't want to pretend that like you spent years yeah. getting <laughs> degrees and certification and like anybody can do it. Like that's, that's not what I mean. No. But as a parent, I can reflect back to my kid that they're, they're pushing a little hard. They're swinging this foam sword a little bit hard. I can also note to them the emotions that I'm experiencing. And one of the things I'm wondering about that is going back to that dollhouse example. I'm typically the kind of guy where if a kid who is playing with a dollhouse is probably not that old. So if there's like a six-year-old destroying a dollhouse, I kind of don't care. Like, I'm not going to feel threatened by that. It's not going to escalate me. I'm just going to be like, all right, well, tell me when you're done. Or I'm going to be like, you're breaking your dollhouse. Let's come up with another plan. But I'm wondering if my strategy would be better if I was saying like, oh, this feels intense for me, even if it doesn't, because I'm naming and reflecting the level of intensity that the child is bringing. Is that part of the strategy? Yes, exactly. That's, that's part of the strategy. So with the dollhouse, like it's the felt sense of the story. So if the kiddo has, you know, the ghosts are attacking the dollhouse and the ghosts are attacking and oh, the furniture's over here, you know, what, what's going to be congruent, right? What's going to match that? So, you know, if you're like, oh, you're just smashing the dollhouse. Well, that doesn't match that level of intensity. Yeah, I might not be bothered. Like maybe another play therapist might be like, okay, no more dollhouse for you because they're not okay with the dollhouse being smashed. But, you know, if I, I know what my limits are, I know what my, my window of tolerance is, is in my room and I'm just going to speak to that window of tolerance for me and what, what the level of intensity that the kid's showing. So it's, it's congruent to say like, that is really intense. Like the furniture's flying, like walls are getting like hit, like, whoa, this feels intense. So you want to keep it congruent to the situation because otherwise it doesn't quite match, right? Like, so if it's really intense and you're just super chill with it, the kid's like, are you there? Like, do you know what I'm doing? So there's that matching part where you're also like attuned in, in the synergetic play theory, we call it attunement. You're attuned to what the feeling is in the play and you're able to sit with it, right? You're able to stay there with them and, and model. So I'll rock, like I'll rock back and forth or side to side, right? Like we used to do with babies and you can still do it with your kiddos. I'm not telling them to rock to calm down, but like this helps me handle the dollhouse feeling, you know, getting smashed or this helps me stay within my window and tolerance and be like, Oh, this is intense. Like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta regulate, you know? Yeah. It sounds like there's even a level of like co-regulation in that reflection, right? Like the kids escalating. And if we don't escalate with them, they might keep escalating until they get a response and then we're way up high. Right. But if we escalate up along with them, we're helping them to regulate themselves because they see that we're up here with them. And now they might be like, whoa, it's a little intimidating when mom, dad, the therapist is up in this level. I'm going to try to calm them down. So I might, as the kid, de-escalate a little bit. And if they don't, us matching their level of intensity and then bringing ourselves down may bring them down. Yeah, we're co-regulating. So we're, we're, you know, in synergetic play therapy, we call it being the external regulator, right? And so, you know, and it's, it's great that more and more the language coming out now is about co-regulation and not just self-regulation. It's like, no, you have to co-regulate. Like these, these kiddos, like you can't just walk away from them when they're in that high place. They don't know how to bring themselves down. So you go there with them like, oh, yes, this feels really intense. Like that was really crazy. Or, oh, my heart's racing. Wow. Like, oh, I got to shake my hands out. 
you know, I always tend to just have my go-tos, which is like, this feels intense and my heart's racing because that's pretty simple if you're kind of up there to like tune into. But, you know, in, in the synergetic, we go through like, you know, what could be going on in your head or your mouth or your arms or your legs, you know, all throughout the whole body. And you can just dive deep into interoception. And there's a whole, you know, occupational therapy field is that's where you would really dive deep and work with that. But, you know, as parents, absolutely, we can bring that in and talk about like, oh, like, yeah, this felt intense. Like, oh, I got to take a breath and, oof, you know, and just match it and bring them back down. Because, you know, what we talk about in play therapy is they'll just kind of keep escalating to sort of see when you're going to show up. You know, like when you've reached your window of tolerance and are tipping out of it, then you're going to like, ah they're going to sort of see where you're at. So if you are there. And in synergetic, I'm hides the word synergy, right? And let me know if I'm wrong, but it sounds like a major component of this is that synergy and that connection between you and the kid and also between you and yourself and ideally eventually the kid and themselves. Absolutely. Like you just nailed it. So synergy, um, at least on the synergetic play therapy website, right there, the definition of um, synergies is the study of systems, I think in motion, I think is the definition. And that's it, because there's all those systems at play. There's my own internal system, like how I'm feeling that day. And our window of tolerance is going to change from day to day. Like, you know, today, like I have a headache, so it's good that we're doing this and I'm here. And another day, like, you know, my 10 a.m. appointment is going to look very different than my 4 p.m. appointment, right? Everybody wants the 4 p.m., but honestly, <laughs> I'm not like at the peak of my game at 4 p.m., you know? So it's my window of tolerance is going to be different and the kiddos as well. And so it's them in the room, it's me, it's, it's all of that. And so just holding that and being aware of it, and just going like, hey, like I'm noticing right now, like, yeah, like I'm, my tension's all over the place. Or I had one play therapy session and I like got up and went and watered my plant. And I'm like, I'm noticing I just went and watered my plant right now. Like that was totally an ADHD moment, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, I can speak to that too and just bring it back to like, oh, that was interesting. And I'll come back to where we were and then just kind of go with it. That internal connection, right? between us and our, our uh, us and ourselves and the kid and themselves and between ourselves and the child it sounds like this approach is going to help foster connection within the family if mom and dad are taking this kind of approach when they're interacting with their kids almost regardless of what the kid is playing and maybe even regardless of what the kid is doing depending on what's happening am i on to something here yeah, we talked about using the play to foster connection, right? And going into the kid's world. And that's a really hard part, right? Like, how do I play with my kid? Like, I, you know, I've worked with some parents where they're like, I'm so not interested in, you know, whatever game that is. And, or it's really hard for me to sit down and play horses or Barbies. You don't have to have the imagination of like a six-year-old or a seven-year-old. Like you can just sit back and just sort of describe what you're saying. Oh, like now they're over there and oh, they're riding the car now. And, you know, just have that connection time and just, you can let them know, like, this is just our time to connect. And Dr. Laura Markham and the Peaceful Parenting, they call it a special time, right? And they set, you know, 10, 15 minutes and front loading them with that time to end, right? We're going to do this for about 15 minutes and then I got to go and do like the dishes or make dinner or whatever, but we got 10 to 15 minutes where I can be here with you. 
setting a timer so they hear the bell go. You know, if you never do it, the worry might be, oh my gosh, like they're going to have a big meltdown. They're not, once I start, they're not going to want to let me go or the other ones are going to get involved or this is just going to go sideways. And so for some families who really have a hard time even just doing it for 10, 15 minutes, like I'm a play therapist and I struggle doing this with my kids. So I'll just do like, I'll set the phone, my time on my phone and I'll just be like, okay, we're just going to do this for 10 minutes. And I stretch myself and I know what it's like. And I'll do the mindfulness. I'm noticing I'm, my attention's wandering or I'm having a hard time staying focused with this. And are you saying that out loud or are you just noticing that in your own head? Noticing it in my own head. Yeah, mostly just so I can stay in it. Like, okay, yeah, I'm noticing I'm having a hard time. I'm noticing I'm checking my phone. And there's also, you know, being curious why, like why, <laughs> why is it hard to do this for 10 minutes? It's 10 minutes, right? We can lose 10 minutes so fast. Like, why is that so hard? So just kind of being curious as a parent. And the timer is critical in there, not just because it makes things more concrete, but also because it externalizes the end, right? Like it's not mom or dad saying, and now we're done, which opens the door potentially for the kid to get upset with mom and dad or feel rejected by mom and dad. It's the timer or Alexa or whatever saying, hey, you're done. That way, you're not going to get mad at a timer. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think, like, every every family of the kid's different, and it's just trying it out, you know. You have to try these things a couple times and see. I know I was worried when I did it. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, they're going to have a meltdown. And the first time I started using timers with my kids, I was amazed that the timer went, and it was like, okay. I was like, no. There's no way, there's no way that that just happens. <laughs> so now it's, you know, and I don't do, I can't do special time like every day or even like every week. I can do it the weeks that my husband's home and when he works away, from, you know, it's I have the two kids and one's not going to let me do it with the other. So I don't sweat it, right? Like give yourself grace. Going back to that idea of entering the child's world, how do we do that? And, and I'm asking because depending on my day, I'm sometimes amazing at that and sometimes less so. And I could not explain to anybody when I'm doing it right, why I'm good at it, except that like, I suppose I play Dungeons and Dragons. And so I have way more practice and imagination than a lot of people. But I even mentioned earlier, my ability to go deep into the stories of D&D, my ability to find immersion in that, which is a story I'm telling. <laughs> like I know what's coming I know what the situation looks like and the setting is all about like I get that stuff because I made it up yeah but I have trouble even there now so are there any strategies that you've learned over the course of doing synergetic play therapy that helps you to enter the child's world and find that immersion yeah I I go back to just like just being curious so like oh like what are you doing with that or what are they doing and you know, really just like narrating the play. That's child-centered play therapy. That's just following the child's lead and noticing. So just like when you're having a conversation with an adult and you're like, oh, you know, how was work? Oh, that sounds like it was really hard. And you reflect back what you hear the other person saying. When you're following the child's play, you're doing the same thing. You're seeing what they're doing. You're seeing their play. And some, I've had some kids in play therapy that are like, no, like play with me. Like you have to be this one. And so I'll still check in and I'll be like, oh, okay. So should my person go over here? Like, I think my person's going to do this. And I'll just check in and ask questions or I'll just narrate what I'm seeing. Like, oh, so now the card's over there. Oh, now they're doing this. Oh, I wonder why they're doing that. So just 
labeling what you're seeing and ask questions about what they're doing. And you, I don't think you really need to do more than that. Sometimes some kids will just be like, wow, like that was awesome. My parents saw what I was doing and they were curious about it. Like kids love to sit and tell you about what they're coming up with. And so if you're just like, oh, cool. And now they're doing that. Oh, I wonder what's happening over there. They'll come up with their, with their imagination and their stories. So if we're not experiencing the immersion of their story, that's okay. Fine. Yeah. We just need to continue the conversation with them and continue the connection. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think this is an area for me where part of what makes it hard is my ability to become immersed in stories and play and all that stuff. And as my kids get older and I get older too, that's a critical component here, ladies and gentlemen, my ability to get immersed in the stories that they're telling me about and the stories that we're playing together has re been reduced. Like I'm just not as good at it as I used to be. And for me, that's bothersome. Like that genuinely bothers me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because while I'm sure I have plenty of parents listening who are like, that's always difficult for me. Of course, this is how I do it. I'm sort of feeling some affirmation around I've been doing this right. I don't even know what Brendan's worrying about. That's how I've always done it. But I also bet that given that we're talking about parents with ADHD and that imaginative side of ADHD and that sort of daydream side of ADHD, I'm also betting there's some parents out there who, like me, are kind of amazing at this but might be finding that they're becoming less amazing at it as they get older because that's what happens with the brain. Right. And maybe struggling with that and having some guilt and shame around that, like I am, like I'm having. So giving them permission, just like I'm taking permission for myself, to engage in that play in a way that is maybe less immersive but is still just as connected is important. Yeah, because you know, you're connected when you're curious about what they're doing. You're connected when you're asking them like why why that one's there or what's that one doing or just noticing what's happening. That's being connected, right? You're there, you're present, you're just, you're witnessing what they're doing and you're interested in it. Whether or not you also have your own person and your own character and your own ideas in it. And some kids actually don't like that because they're like, no, like the dog is doing this. Like get your dog out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my dog's over here. So, you know, that's still, still connection. Connection doesn't have to look like one way. And Circling back to the video game stuff, that's another form of connection, right? Is if your kids are playing a lot of video games, ask them about the video games. Find out what, what is that game? What are you doing in that game? How does that game work? Yeah, and that's what I, you know, if I have tweens or, you know, preteens or teenagers and that's what they're into, it's or like shows or books or whatever it is. And I'm so far out of that world now. It's like, what what's that game? Like, why do you like it? What do they do in there? Do you play with other people? Is it just you and your friends? Is it a one person? Like, tell me all about it. What is it that you like about it? What's the music like? Is it good music? Do you feel relaxed? And just be super curious. I think a lot of times we start making assumptions about it or that it's just bad or uh, they're avoiding or there must be a problem. And this goes back to the podcast Lisa did about it was a lot of the kids really are amazed about the creativity behind it, right? Like if you think about Tolkien and like Lord of the Rings and creating that whole world, it's like somebody designed this story and this world and isn't that amazing? And when you start talking to some of these kids about it, that's what they're drawn to is just that kind of creative side. And you wouldn't know that if you didn't sit down and have a conversation and be curious about what it is. And another thing that this can do for my listeners who are having conflict around video games, which there's a bunch of them who contact me about that. 
the last parent coaching group I ran, I actually had a two week extension that was only about navigating video game difficulty at home. I don't, I'm hesitant to say video game addiction because that's not exactly what it was, but navigating the battles over video games and their kids playing video games too much and that kind of stuff. And if the only time we talk about video games is when we're arguing about it, then it's always a point of contention. It's always, I'm sitting on one side of the table, my kid is on the other side of the table and the video game is in the middle and we're battling over it. But if you can go around and sit on the same side of the table as your kid and just talk about the video game on the table and find out what's, it, what's good about it, what do you dig about it, why do you keep playing this, then those conversations will help frame the later conversations where we're setting healthier boundaries around the video game time. Totally. I remember, you know, being a teenager or a kid and just adults making assumptions about the things you liked as a teen. Oh, that Nirvana, they're just a blah, blah, blah. And you know, <laughs> you know how angry you would get because like, you didn't even know, like you haven't even talked to me about them or what kind of, you know, so if you can kind of get back in touch with what it was like, you know, when you were passionate about something and the adults never took the time to find out what it was about, just be curious. Yeah. So just being mindful of time. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience? I would just really circle back to the part with like your ADHD kiddos, like how helpful it is to just draw awareness to what's going on inside their body. Really, if anything, just going like, wow, like I can feel my heart racing. I can notice this or like, wow, you're all over the place or you just seem like you're buzzing or just starting to label that and you being the one to take the deep breaths not telling them to take the deep breaths for model, model, model will really, really help these kids just start to learn that stuff and start to notice it in themselves. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.